0: 4.8 billion dollars, that is the amount of investments received by tech startups across the African continent in 2021, with the emergence of at least 5 new unicorns. Africa's tech ecosystem has been experiencing tremendous growth in recent years. The continent also defies the global trend in 2022. As funding for startups declined across the globe, Africa is standing out as a notable exception. To keep track of the dynamism of this ecosystem and to learn more about the continent's specificities, Razors, your fundraising partner from Seed to Series B, decided to create AfriMoney, a podcast in which we share insightful conversations with entrepreneurs, investors, and regional leaders on the African Czech startup ecosystem. Enjoy! In this episode, we are very happy to welcome Zakaria George, managing partner at Launch Africa Ventures, Africa's most prominent and active early-stage VC fund with a portfolio of more than 125 tech ventures across more than 20 countries. Zak is also the co-founder and chief investment officer at Startup Bootcamp, the leading multi-corporate venture accelerator program in Africa. How Zak fell in love with South Africa and decided to leave Wall Street? What are his thoughts about the ecosystem and the VC downturn in Africa? How his fund is solving the seed funding gap problem in the continent? Find out about all these topics and more in this interview.
1: Hey Zach. Hi, how are you doing? Hi. Good to be good. on the show. Yeah, good to have you. Thank you very much for your time. Um it's very great to to talk to you in this podcast. Uh, Make makeup raises. Uh, for starts, could you maybe like introduce yourself and your background because it's quite uh, stunning. Like, how did you end up in South Africa after studying in India and in Stanford, and then working at Lehman Brothers and Barclays? Uh, would love to hear a bit more about that.
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Valentine. Uh, um, I get asked this a lot, but the um... The gist of it was, yes, I am an engineer by degree. I studied mechanical engineering uh, at the IIT. Um, And then I went and got my master's from Stanford in management science and finance. It was an incredible opportunity to be in Silicon Valley for for a bit. Um, And then I went to Lehman and Barclays in New York doing um, investment banking for quite a number of years, uh, most of my 20s. Uh, I stumbled upon 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 Africa and South Africa by by chance. To be to be to be honest, so I was in um, in South Africa for the the Soccer World Cup in 2010. Very much the situation where we are with the uh, with the ongoing World Cup in Qatar, and I realized that there was no venture capital or any form of private investing into startups. Or or tech driven SMEs on the African continent back in 2010 slash 2011, and I and I made the decision to first of all I fell in love with South Africa, the people, the culture, and everything about this beautiful country. Uh, but I realized that there was a huge opportunity to to create something new through a culture of entrepreneurship. So I just I I resigned from Wall Street. Uh, whilst on holiday, which is something that very few people do and can understand. And I decided that I would start building relationships with universities, tech transfer offices, with uh, with government, both local, provincial, as well as national, and try to figure out how we could create an ecosystem where startup founders could work with large corporates, but mostly banks, insurance companies, telcos, retailers, Government organizations, universities, to create a clear path towards growing an enterprise. And that required a lot of research. Uh, And I spent almost a whole year, mid 2010 till almost the end of 2011, traveling all over Africa to look at how we could start this. First, by building venture building studios, and then eventually incubators and accelerators. And after many years of doing this in 2015, uh, we finally set up uh, Tech Lab Africa with Barclays, which was the precursor to Techstars. And some people here on the podcast may know of Barclays Techstars. So uh, we started that in Africa uh, or, or started the building blocks for that. Um, that, was yeah, that, very that was actually successful. my next question
1: <laughs> on, on yeah. Tech Lab Africa. Uh, We'd love to hear a bit more about this initiative, which was indeed one of the first on the continent.
2: Yeah, so Tech Lab Africa was an internal project at Barclays. And I I was an ex-Barclays banker in um, in New York City when I was in my 20s. So for me, the association was perfect. I said, listen, I know how Barclays works. Barclays at the time owned more than two-thirds of ABSA, which is one of the largest banks in in South Africa. And they were looking to run an internal innovation program. And my whole thesis was you should be able to do this with um with fintechs and not just do it internally within the bank. So that then morphed into tech stores, which was the first global accelerator on the continent. Uh, and then in 2016, I said, if you can do it for one bank, it would be amazing if you could make it truly non-exclusive and do this for multiple banks, multiple insurers, multiple retailers, multiple telcos, et cetera. So you would truly really democratize, um, you know, growth within the tech startup space. So then Startup Bootcamp, which is one of the largest accelerators outside of the US. As you're aware, Startup Bootcamp is in, uh, what, 20 cities across the world, primarily in Europe. Um, I then was asked to head up their operations in Africa together with my co-founder, Philip. And then, yeah, we set up Startup Bootcamp in Africa we We saw almost three thousand companies over a three year period, and we ran three cohorts of ten startups each. and that was an incredible exercise. And then once we started doing that, other accelerators like plug and play, um camp, Founders Factory, et cetera, came to the continent. And sort of you you then saw twenty fifteen, sorry, 2017, 18, 19 is when accelerators. Really took off in Africa, both global as well as regional ones like, you know, um, NiLab, iHub in Kenya, and then Flat Six Labs in Tunisia and Egypt, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the genesis of my journey in the VC space in Africa. It started first with venture building spaces, working with large corporate innovation programs, eventually accelerators, incubators, and that. Bottom-up approach with founders, is what made us different to all the other VC funds on the
1: continent today. Wow, that's that's quite impressive and interesting. Must be must be very striking for you to see the difference between like ten years back, when there was like Africa was a very dynamic ecosystem, uh, tech-wise, as opposed to now, Uh, like before 2015, uh, no exits, if I'm not mistaken, like ever happened before yeah. on the continent uh and, and it was a question i wanted to ask like before but why africa in the first place in particular did you wanted to go into i don't know like an, an ecosystem where you had the ability to start from scratch and really bring value rather as opposed to more mature markets
2: yeah i mean listen i've always been a bit of a pioneer in the way i think
1: also i'm um this is maybe too
2: much information for a podcast, but I'm a musician and a and a creative by by <laughs> nature. So, so I play the piano, the guitar, I've been singing. Uh I'm also a big lover of the arts and theater. So even though I, I I I spend most of my career in investment banking, engineering, you know, my real love is creativity. And the one thing I realized is I I look at problems. For, different to the way traditional accountants or engineers or bankers look at it. So I looked at, you know, I came to South Africa in 2010. And I saw a continent with at the time 1.2 billion people growing very, very fast, massive urbanization, uh, um, a, uh, 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 um, a declining cost of data, as in like the cost of mobile data, uh, much higher growth in smartphone penetration, a much higher growth in, in e-commerce. And I said, how is it possible that people don't see the blatant similarities between what happened in India, which is now the third largest venture capital market after the US and China, uh, and what happened um, in Southeast Asia, in Indonesia, for example, and I said, this is the uh, this the, this movie is being repeated uh, and Africa is the next is the next show. And no one is seeing this opportunity, right? Um And there are so many challenges in healthcare and education, in food and water security, logistics, uh, last mile delivery, education, and there's only so much that grants and, and and um, you know, non-recourse loans and asset financing can can do for the continent. There, I mean, there, there was less than, you know, a hundred million dollars in venture capital in Africa as little as six years ago, which is shocking. Yeah. And then I said, yeah. if no one's going to do it, you know, it's going to take a, a foreigner coming to Africa to do it. Um, but you know, I never considered myself a foreigner my my father was born in Tanzania. I have lots of connections to the continent um and I just said the clear missing part in all of this is corporate Africa so the power of banks insurers and telcos and to a lesser extent retailers because mm-hmm. Africa is very even though Africa has 54 different countries the the corporate sector is uh behaves through um, a, a very sort of oligopolistic tendency. So you've got, you know, three or four major insurance companies that cover the whole continent, but through subsidiaries. So like Sanlam through its partnership with Saham, Old Mutual through its partnership with UAP, and then the likes of Discovery and Hollard, et cetera. The same thing with the banks, right? You've got about five or six major banks and they have multiple operating subsidiaries all across the continent. You know, Stanbic. Standard Bank, and then you've got Barclays and EcoBank, et cetera. So it's, you know, even though Africa has fifty-four countries, because you only have four or five major corporate sector players, across banking insurance, telcos and retailers, it is a lot easier to scale B2B tech solutions in Africa versus um, for example, in um, in Europe. You know, and very few people understand that. Once you understand that as a VC or an angel, you can really help scale companies if you have good relationships with inst- right. with uh, with institutions because they control data and distribution, which is the
1: most important thing when you scale tech startups. Absolutely. Yeah, and talking about VCs, looking at African startups, we're seeing more and more, of course, local VCs, Um building up like every month, there's a new fund being raised. And at the same time, we also have a lot of foreign investors coming in. Like, I think every week I have a, a chat with a US or Europe fund, uh, fund VC firm asking me like, should we go to Africa? Cause it seems like there's a big opportunity here. We want to launch a new fund and actually invest in the geography, which is not our primary focus. Usually why is that? Yep. How can we explain such a shift in mindset, like in 10 years? Or even like five years.
2: I mean, like, you mean the the mindset of people wanting to start funds all of a sudden, or the mindset of people realizing that there is a big opportunity in Africa?
1: The the second one, like all all the VCs um, that are now looking at opportunities that they were neglecting before. Um,
2: No, I think it's just people for many, many years looked at Africa purely from a private equity mindset they looked at it from a oh gosh when will this company be cash flow positive why are they not breaking even um where is the focus on on uh, on, on market expansion where is the focus on uh, of fiscal uh, jurisprudence etc all of that and you know africa has never had in the last couple of decades a clear understanding of the concept of Um, feasible and sustainable and scalable innovation, right? Um, There have been lots of talks about Africa's wealth being in its primary resources, being minerals, mining, agriculture, um, and basically primary sources of, of growth, right? So the mindset has always been, well, if it works in the primary sector, then we can use the same concepts of private equity to the secondary sector, which is manufacturing, and then the tertiary sector, which is services. But the reality is the the mindset of venture capital needs different people. You almost don't want to have CAs and accountants um, and engineers running VC funds, right? You need people that understand a growth mindset, right? Right. The fact that you can grow a company and not that you ignore the concept of being profitable or having positive EBITDA, but understand that sometimes you need to spend money to create um to create money, right? Mm. Um, that mindset doesn't re or didn't exist in Africa for many years because um you know, concepts of mobile payments and peer-to-peer, Exchanges of, of, of assets or the concept of online education, the sharing economy didn't really make sense. And the, the big shift we saw was around 2011, 2012, when the decentralization of assets globally started to have its impact in Africa. Now, what I mean by that is even though, you know, platforms like Airbnb and Uber and um Uh, education platforms online like Coursera and Udemy have been around for more than 15 years or more or less. Their true entry into Africa only happened about six to seven years ago. And once people realized that these are multi-billion dollar companies that are less than 10 years old, people had to see it, to believe it, to know that you can create significant value through asset light, industries that don't follow the economic laws of normal companies. Technology companies don't function like normal companies in many ways, right? If you look at the um, the Dow Jones and, uh, you know, the top 50 companies in the S&P 500 today versus as little as 15 years ago, there's almost no overlap, right? Everyone knows this. Mm-hmm. But, but when you could see this happening in Africa, then it said, "Okay, it 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 it, it was an eye opening uh, moment to a lot of and an an aha moment, if you will, um, to a lot of VCs. Many of whom, by the way, the GPs of a lot of these VCs in Africa have lived abroad in New York, Paris, London, um, Berlin, Tel Aviv, Bangalore, etc. So they've understood how these ecosystems have flourished." And have grown relatively quickly and are now applying that mindset to africa so it took a while but you needed to see the proof of that pudding and this is why fintech is very important i think this is probably one of your next questions right so i'm, I'm preempting this but you needed, to the, you needed to see the fintech revolution happen starting with nigeria in 2014 2015 the year in which you know, the, the the rough time period, 2014, 15, 16, when companies like Flutterwave, Parga, and Paystack and the early days of MFS Africa still uh, happened, right? These companies prove that you could use fintech as a means to create value um, in traditional industries, right? So the moment you got your payments rail sorted, industries like oil and gas, like agriculture, like education and healthcare, would eventually grow because you solved the payments aspect um, um, early on with 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 technology, and you weren't relying just on brick and mortar banks and lending institutions and 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 insurance companies to solve these problems. So, I think I think uh, that was a key watershed moment in in Africa in the tech space was the emergence of fintechs because the success of fintechs in Africa about eight to nine years ago, proved that this tech could expand to other sectors. Uh, And that's why you see a lot of investors coming into the VC space now in 2021, 2022. But it certainly wasn't the case eight or nine years ago when we were one of the only ones doing this.
1: So, Right. And that's a good transition on my next question, which is uh, around your funds, Launch Africa Ventures, that I think most of the people listening to us will already know of because you're probably one of the most active funds on the continent at the early stage yeah. uh, we'd love mm-hmm. to hear a bit more about your thesis the sectors that you like to invest in the tickets etc
2: yeah i mean launch africa again was a clear evolution out of my my journey running uh first tech lab africa with barclays and then more importantly start at bootcamp right so that the four years of startup bootcamp were a great proof of the pudding, if you may, that there is a um, uh, a clear relay race, right? Where you start with venture builders where ideas can get ideated into MVPs. and that's the that that that's the importance of venture building studios and incubators. Then you go from MVP to commercialization in an accelerator, like, Y Combinator or Startup Bootcamp or 500 Startups or Plug and Play, et cetera. And then you typically start to raise angel money. But there is a massive gap between angel and then seed and Series A funding. And that seed funding gap in Africa until about four or five years ago was entirely done by um angels, right? And maybe a few VC funds, regionally but it was so tiny it was so tiny valentine it was nothing um so startups would have to wait for three to four years before they could do a series a but they would have to get to about at least a hundred thousand dollars in mrr to start mrr being monthly recurring revenue to start proving yeah that they could get so it would take three or four years right and then our whole thesis was well if we've been running accelerators for so long And we understand how to scale businesses by working with founders. And number two, we have very close relationships with insurers, telcos, banks, and retailers to help with distribution and cross-border expansion and with law firms to help externalize your IP and with digital marketing firms to help you with customer validation and engagement. Then why don't we just start our own fund? Why do we have to... I mean, it's important to keep running accelerators, but my whole thesis was let's set up a fund and we have such incredible proprietary deal flow, not just from startup bootcamp, but from all the accelerators that have a presence in Africa, because you're all looking for good stories on demo day and no one was funding these companies. So that was the genesis of Launch Africa. Launch Africa was launched and born in, um, in late 2019. And then we officially launched in mid 2020 uh, in the height of COVID. And we decided to not go the usual route and raise capital from DFIs, which is where, you know, almost 90% of all VC funds in Africa just resort to DFI money, which I right. don't think is optimal. Um, so we went the other route and we raised all our capital from retail investors. So individuals, family offices, fund of funds, uh, and corporate um, CVCs, and uh, yeah, we 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 looked to raise a small fund of ten to fifteen million dollars, but then we realized that that there was so much demand from founders because we were pan-African. We worked with every major accelerator in Africa, uh, every major incubator, and all the large corporates. And then we realized that with 10 to $15 million, there's no way that we can justify this demand. So we actually oversubscribed our fund in 18 months to $36 million, $36.3 million, which was announced at VivaTech in uh, June earlier this year. And uh, yeah, we've now, our thesis is very simple. We, we back really solid founders with either B2B or B2B2C business models that must have a multi-country focus. We don't back single country founders, right? So you have to have a clear plan, plan to be in at least one or more markets within 12 months of us backing you. We invest only at the, at the pre-seed and seed stage. In certain very rare cases, we'll back Series A companies, but it's very rare and maybe about 10% of our fund. Um, we, uh, we typically invest a hundred to $300,000 per ticket. Um, we don't have a lot of capital for follow-ons unlike other funds, simply because we, there are so many good deals to be backing at the seed stage that don't get funding. So our focus is very specific. We're a seed fund, um, um, and um yeah we the, the the ip of all our portfolio companies needs to be in investor friendly jurisdictions so either in the uk the us france uh, in certain cases the netherlands singapore or mauritius simply of from course, a, yeah. from a yeah exactly and um Yeah, we've uh, and what we've done so far, we've we've uh, we've invested in as of uh, last week in the last. It's been two years now. We've backed one hundred and twenty six companies across Africa. That's a uh, lot. That's a lot. Yeah, in twenty different countries. So when 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 other funds say we are a pan African fund, but they basically invest in Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, and maybe Egypt. You know, that's not Pan-African, that's, you know, four countries. So we truly <laughs> believe that that there are incredible deals all across the continent. Um, so we've done deals in Sudan, in Cameroon, in Togo Benin, in Morocco, Tunisia, even in Madagascar, right? So we have, but in these markets, we have, we either work directly with team members that are part of the team or through ambassadors, sorry, uh, advisors on our advisory board, or through local angel networks uh, or, or founder collectives. And that's very, very important. You need to have on-the-ground presence. You can't do helicopter investing. That doesn't work at the seed stage. And I can tell you now... Either me personally or my co GP Janaid or our ex co have, uh, or our key members of our team have met almost all our founders face to face and have done in person DD. Uh, this is extremely important. Um, Which is great. Yeah. I and, mean, not and... many GPs will go and do a, a site visit in Kinshasa, but, you know, for example, <laughs> Yeah, or or in in Botswana, but you know, Zach George and his team goes and does it, (laughs) which is also why that shows commitments.
1: And that's uh, what might make a difference with other funds. My next question is, um, how, how has the VC downturn affected your investment strategy? Do you, you see a, a big change? And are you currently in any need to adapt to the current economic environment? And Is it affecting Africa as much as the rest of the world?
2: Even though there has been um, a recession globally, there's been very little, um, nothing has changed fundamentally. There are still massive uh, challenges in, like I mentioned earlier, mobility, infrastructure, healthcare, education that needs to be solved through technology, right? And this massive arbitrage between uh, the population versus GDP versus venture capital where... Africa accounts for um, 17% of the world's population, about 7% of the world's GDP, but less than 1% of the world's venture capital, right? So that will only that that gap needs to be shortened. And there's so much more that needs to be done. That being said, you know, the trickle-down um effect of non-systemic factors um, have now been seen in the African VC market but it's nowhere as dramatic as it is in other sectors globally. So what we will see is as a fund similar to other funds, we will be a bit more cautious on new investment opportunities. There will be a bit more focus on traction and product market fit. We may focus a little bit more attention on um, helping our existing portfolio companies versus investing in new ones. We will always be looking for new deals to invest in but we will prioritize our existing companies that need help with working capital, with extension ancient rounds versus looking at at brand new deals. Even the brand new deals that we look at, I mean, we've backed 126 companies of which, you know, more than 70 of them have been in this year, 2022. In 2022. Um, uh, within those companies that we look to back, there'll be a greater focus on revenue, recurring revenue, subscriptions, and ones that can expand into multiple markets. And a key part of any VC fund's ethos should be the ability to create synergies between its portfolio companies. That is a hallmark of a good VC, is to add significant non-financial value in addition to just financial value. Um, And because we have a large number of portfolio companies across multiple geographies, sectors, and products, we can play that matchmaking role significantly more than other VCs. So that is what we're going to be focusing a lot of our efforts on
1: despite um this current economic environment. Okay, thank you very much for sharing. And said Um, one of my next questions, which was around like, what do you look for in the startups that you invest in? Because I remember how, thanks to you, I guess your brand awareness that you have a very strong deal flow, I imagine, and... Uh, yeah. I remember, like a couple of months ago, when we were passing deals to you guys, you said something to me around the the fact that you were even rejecting some pre-seed or seed opportunities the, that were doing like 50k MRR at the time, uh, which is, I mean, a great sign that there are plenty of great startups all around. Um, yeah. Talking about deal flow, um, <laughs> I might have a bias on this question, but. Happy to hear your views. Do you prefer intimidated sure. deals or not? And would you recommend that entrepreneurs in your portfolio use the services of an investment bank to raise? I mean, no one
2: tells a story better than a founder, right? Um, so I have a slight bias towards founders focusing on raising capital themselves. That being said, if an investment advisor has significant expertise in a particular sector or region and understands comparables, margins, um, percentage penetration rates of a particular region or sector really well, they can often provide a much better perspective than a founder themselves. But the big if here is these are specialist investment advisors, not generic investment advisors that can raise money for a private equity startup and for a pre-seed state startup and, right. you know, doing fintech in Egypt and edtech in South Africa without knowing anything about these regions or sectors, right? So if 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 you're just in the job of making beautiful pitch decks and pitching to, you know, a database in Excel that you look at, those investment advisors that and charge you ridiculous amounts of money i'm not a big fan of them but specialist niche boutique investment advisors that know the market well and can speak on behalf of the founders as to why this particular company has an edge over x or y or where they are weak compared to a b and c and what and who's doing the same type of work in europe or asia those investment advisors are great but there are only a handful of such niche investment advisors in the early stage african vc tech investment space obviously you sure. guys are one of them but it's but it's but it's a very small um subset it's, but yeah i don't cool. mind uh, working with investment advisors
1: if they're very niche no that's yeah. interesting and where well, indeed there are very few of them of us i would say which is quite surprising yeah. i mean as opposed to to some markets like France, which I'm coming from, 60% of uh, deals at Series A stage uh, are done via investment bankers. But this is uh, this is a different oh. market and this is a, a newer market here. So we'll see how the future the future goes and happens. Yeah. Uh, and last question for you, Zach, before uh... we leave you to it. One or two advice for the entrepreneurs listening to us uh, that are currently looking to raise you shouldn't be raising more than 12 to 18 months of runway from a capital
2: perspective. You should be looking at alternative sources of capital. So venture debt and revenue based financing uh, as a means to not over dilute yourself as founders, look at alternative ways of incentivizing your team and not having to pay really high salaries to you and your founders, your your founders and your team. So incentivize your team by long-term stock options. um, And, never look at over-diluting yourself through a funding round because if you don't have enough incentivization for you as the founding team, you're going to struggle to raise future rounds of funding. So limit your capital raises to at the very most 12 to 18 months of runway and be very careful with
1: your cash flow management. Thank you, Zach. Thank you very much. That's it for today. Thank you very much for being with us. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Okay. Cheers. Talk to you soon. Bye.
0: Many thanks to Zach for his time. If you like this episode, feel free to subscribe and to rate it on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. All the information are in the description. I wish you a good week and see you soon.